Alright. <laughs> Alright. Welcome back, ladies and uh, gentlemen, to the MSG podcast. Okay, let's see. Yeah. Is, awesome. Is everything working? Yeah, yeah, we're good. Okay. So I guess we didn't do a mic check before, so what? Yeah, we didn't I, I did mic check, I just want to make sure the volumes are correct. Okay. So Alright, yeah, we're back. And Hello everybody. And this is a very special non guest episode, which is a rarity these days. Yeah, we definitely are gonna spread those out. Yeah. From now on. Uh, that's, that's a good a, thing. We, we that's why we did it. That's why we yeah. do guest episodes, like every ten episodes or something. Mm-hmm. Just sort of space them out and have some. Kind of space them out, but yeah, no, it is what it get is. Get a backlog of them. Yep. that would be nice. Have a bunch of people over and then just record everything at once. Yeah, and then, and then just save it for the future. For a while. There you go. Every time we miss an episode or something, we get something to post. There you go. Post two or three right in a row. You know, just. I don't know, but <laughs> I don't know, but all right. What are we talking about? We have. Last what last Monday or Monday was Memorial was it Memorial yes, Yeah, it was Memorial Day. Day. That was have you been seeing all that stuff about that? Uh uh-uh. uh. So like you have so what, it was Monday was Memorial Day and then and then it turns to what are we in June? Yeah. And June's the Pride Month. Ah uh, you yeah. were like, you know Memorial Day is only one day where June's uh, Pride Month is the entire month, month for yeah. that. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a little bit biased, I think. It's a little <laughs> flopped in one direction. Yeah, I don't know. I was seeing something else, like the whole uh, the the how you know the whole pride stuff and the LGBT. They use the like rainbow flag, yeah. And the rainbow originally started with like the flood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the like first aside. rainbow. Yeah, I saw a little. I saw a TikTok and they're like, yeah, you're using that flag wrong. Oh, yeah. I, was, I was like. Yeah, interesting. Like somebody's talking about interesting, it. Interesting, so, well, yeah. And that has amused me to no end. I mean, it, amusement's probably not the right word there, but it's funny to me that that was a a sacred symbol given of God. Yeah. To say, look, this is this is the symbol of this covenant that I will no, no longer flood the entire earth. So, like, that was a sacred symbol, and then this movement, which is declaredly anti-God in their thinking, you know, that this entire movement is okay is using that same symbol, God's given symbol, as, you know... Oh, well, like a slap in the face. Yeah, it it pretty much is. And I, I have to imagine there's a little bit of I think most people, warfare there. Oh, most people in the... Probably most people in the LGBT who use the flag don't know probably the not. whole Noah story anyways. But you don't so. have to to still have it be a slap in the face. Yeah, true. But... They, it they would don't. be worse if they were sitting there going, yes, we want to sock it to God. You know, it, we, I mean, they kind of do in the end, don't mm. they? I mean, More or less. I mean, that's kind of the whole point of the whole Not thing. everybody, but... It's, it's like a double whammy because you're not supposed to be prideful in the first place. And then you're prideful over something that is inherently... Sinful. Yeah. <laughs> against God's given order. Amen. So, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's weird. It's like... Trouble. Yeah. I don't care. You can do... You, you can flourish in your sin... And I'm just gonna say it's wrong. So, but each choice is your own. I, I'm of the opinion that you can't really flourish in your sin. You might think you are. What do you mean? That, that depends on what you mean by flourishing. Consistently being in it. Well, okay, yeah. What, what, like abiding in your sin, doing doing it exclusively. It's kind of what yeah. You mean I mean, they, they're okay with it too. So. Oh yeah, it's, it's perfectly so, fine to them. So I don't know. I'm like, okay, you can do what you want. I just won't say it's correct. Right, but and it, it's your choice. It makes more problems than it fixes. Yeah, definitely. Because now you get the whole pride, well, the whole LGBT going against the 
the belief of God, so much so to where they're telling you to like, you know, like kill yourself and all that. Yeah. It's like, whoo. Like things are getting spicy. What happened to the whole love? Love is love it's, or whatever. It's gone now. Love it's, is love and hate is hate. <laughs> sometimes they link up. <laughs> love is hate. There you go. Well, it's interesting to me because I actually feel very sorry for them in the situation that they've ended up because their their feelings on it are at least the core it's of one-sided. what they want is is correct and that they they want to find contentment in something right and so throughout their life things have lined up in such a way that they believe that their contentment can be found in that activity you know in homosexuality yeah so it's it's an offshoot of the trying to find contentment in sex which is a, a dead end row and that's something we talked about in church today, or the pastor talked about. Yeah. But that's an offshoot of it. It's like it's not just sex; it's the specific type. So we're we're trying to establish a relationship which is outside of God's purview in terms of you know like this is what He's ordained as correct for varying reasons. And we've talked about that in the past. But they've decided that this is how they're going to find contentment. And the reason I feel sorry for them is that that's. A genuine desire. Everybody wants to find that contentment and that joy and that, that peace and happiness. Yeah. But you can't find it at the end of that road, and you can't find it along the way. Yeah. But they're still striving after it because, insofar as they've been led to believe that you know that's perfect happiness. You know, you you have to embrace who you truly are, and you know, shun people that tell you that you're wrong because that you know they don't know you and they don't know what really makes you happy or what makes you tick or or how you were born. Yeah, and so you just do your own thing and do what r- makes you happy. Well, if you talk to a lot of them and and you really sit down and you get to the heart of the issue, um, why they do things or what they're thinking about things, a lot of them are not happy at all, and a lot of them are confused about things and and they have deep anguish over, you know, the relationships with uh, the same sex and whatnot, and you can almost always trace it back to something. You know, something in their past caused them to. You know, either they were molested in such a way by somebody of the same sex or they had a really bad relationship with somebody of the opposite sex which turned them away and they ended up, you know, finding communion with people of the same sex and therefore it led into a sexual relationship. Yeah. No matter what it was, there was something that twisted them from that original path. So that one of the great lies of the, the homosexual movement is that you were born like that, therefore it's it's wrong to... You know, turn yourself away from your own desires. Yeah, be yourself type stuff. So it's, I feel so sorry for them because once they get in that cycle and they, it's sort of like the echo chamber that everybody's really into talking about right now where you surround yourself with only the voices that you want to hear, only the things you want to hear. So they're kind of pulling themselves away from the greater society that's telling them, hey, this is not healthy. It it won't give you the things you want. It, It goes against what God wants and Ultimately, what God wants is in your best interest. It's painful for people to hear, but it is in your best interest. Yeah. And they're trying to pull themselves away, or the ones that aren't pulling away are actively attacking those voices. And it's just a, a deep, dark pit that they end up finding themselves in. To all the world, they'll put up the front of, this is the great bastion of, of freedom to, for what I feel and what I want, and this is perfectly satisfying me. But deep down... There is no satisfaction aside from momentary happiness from time to time. Yeah, and even that's a false sense. And I find it, I find it interesting that 
and you know like you were saying you know they're all they're all looking for happiness and uh i think there's a very big difference between happiness and joy yeah. and i never see people saying they want joy they want happiness right you know i want to live a happy life with this or that and i think happiness is a temporary emotion similar to joy but it's temporary whereas joy i don't think is an emotion i think it's something that comes from god yeah absolutely just like wisdom comes from god true wisdom because there's a false wisdom yeah you know your day-to-day person can get see the old wise and people but it's it's the wrong type yeah so i don't know that's what i I see a lot so because and the the distinction is happiness is something you can attain and i'm using air quotes there it's something that you can do something about and try and grab for yourself. And you're right in that it's temporary. Yeah. It's you know only the slightest little spike on the spectrum, and the high point of that is what you feel is happiness. Whereas joy, you can't do anything about. Joy is something that just happens to you, and it's, it's God's joy flowing into you. Yeah. Um, and you're right in that you cannot attain it by anything you do it's a gift from god and yeah. it's usually when you're in obedience i think yeah i think it's it. when you're in the presence of god and mm-hmm. you know more more so seeking after him rather than being in your own sin yeah so yeah you'll never find an encounter where you're yeah. deep in your sin and unrepentant in that mm-hmm. and then also feeling the full weight of his joy it's it's just not yeah that doesn't happen yeah i don't know it's just that's always what I thought. So no, you're but, absolutely because right. you never see like if you know like posts for like Pride Month and all that. You never see like uh, joy. You always see uh, happy lies and all that. I was like, that's always something that stuck out to me. Nobody ever says they want joy. They always say they want happiness. Right. I was like, yeah. It's, it shows. It's interesting too because if you go to talk to somebody that's deeply embroiled in that sin, as well as many others, because there's a bunch you could talk to people about. If their first inclination is to get angry at you and to, to try, you know, yelling you away or, or trying to take away your platform, essentially, that's, that's a poor way of wording it, but trying to take your legs out. To silence your you. voice. Right. It's almost always because somewhere deep in them, and it could be fully subconscious, there is a guilt over what they're doing. Yeah. They realize it's not right. And so the quickest way to shut you up is to try and just take away your voice. So whether yeah. that's, you know... There would deplatforming. The word would work there. You know, trying to get you off of social media for yeah, calling you like a white supremacist or or whatever. Yeah, or calling you names so people don't have to to listen to you. Yeah, Um, that's the quickest way to stop you from talking because it's starting to flip that guilt switch. Uh, And you see that a lot with people that know they're doing something wrong. Is that they'll clump up with people that are doing the same thing. Yeah. Or you know, you have one friend that dabbles in drugs and he likes it. And he feels guilty about it, and so he'll start trying to corrupt his friends into doing it. And he'll he'll probably corrupt a couple of them, and he'll gather them closely around him because it's comfortable doing things with people you respect and you like. But they're doing the same thing. They're doing the same it's thing. It's less noticeable or less... Yeah. You don't really get as much guilt or any. Certainly, depending. certainly, because it's sort of the... Again, it goes back to the subconscious. It's like you see them, and you have respected them in the past, and you go, okay, if they're willing to do this, it can't be so bad. Yeah, and there's there's not a lot of active thinking going on where you're going, huh? I sit down with this person and I really respect them, and and I think about what they think about and what they enjoy. And there's not a lot of actual thinking thought process that goes on. It's just something that you naturally do. Yeah, you, you know, if you see a celebrity on TV, you, you 
a lot of the more base people will look and see, okay, what do they do? What, what's their routine? I'm going to try and copy that. They appear happy and they, you know, they're doing their thing. So th there's that happening on the personal level with people that do wrong. So surround themselves in a cocoon of other people that are doing wrong. And the, the bigger their cocoon gets, you know, when people try and talk to them about it, they push them far away. They try and exclude them from the group or they, if they can't exclude them from the group, the whole group will move away from them so that they don't have to hear it because they're comfortable in what they're doing. Yeah. And uh, the whole deal with the, the pride movement is that they have built these little groups, these little communities that they can come and shelter together and wallow in their sin while, you know, patting each other on the backs and, and encouraging each other, which is sort of like a, um, a shadow copy of what the church is supposed to do. You know, you're supposed to gather as Christians and encourage each other and instill each other with, with hope and joy, but in a right sense, and encourage people to do the right thing and to do what God demands, whereas these other groups are like, a, you know, Satan's uh, flip-flop, as he so often does with all things that are good. He'll flip-flop it in such a way that you'll desire to do this thing, but he's misdirected you from God to the world. Yeah. So it's an interesting thing to study because once you once you know what to look for you can start seeing this in a bunch of people people that subconsciously know they're doing wrong clump up and they'll encourage each other against false persecution uh, and we know it's false persecution because it's talked about in the bible where it's you know if you're persecuted for doing wrong things then it is of no use to you or anybody else, but if you're persecuted for doing right, then that's the persecution that God honors, and that's what, you know, raises you up yeah. in God's sight. And I, I have to imagine that's kind of what they were talking about in that, because the implication of that passage was that, you know, oh, you know, if you do something wrong and somebody punishes you for it, then it's no good in the in the eyes of God. Well, this is the same thing. If you're you know, clumping together and you face persecution because you're doing something wrong. I mean, the persecution's probably there to set you back right. I'm not saying that, you know, going out and tormenting people because what they do is wrong is a good thing. As Christians, you know, we need to be reaching out to that community and saying, look, what you, what you want is something that is a natural desire. You want that satisfaction and contentment and Love you. You really want that core of love, but you're looking in the wrong spot. And point them to Christ, who is yeah. the ultimate example of love. But you know, all those groups, and there are Christian groups out there. They go least, about it wrong way. Some yeah. of them do, like just immediately going out to people and telling, them, "Oh yeah, you're gonna burn in hell." Yeah, I was like, "That's not at all that's, how you approach people." Right. That's and, how you push them away, if anything. Mm -hmm, and that's coming from somebody. My my spells myself, especially. You know, when I was a early believer in the fact that I was actually starting to pursue God's truth I was fiery against people for doing wrong things but I didn't pursue it in a loving manner yeah so I was seeing hey you're doing this thing wrong but instead of saying look you're doing this wrong but I'm doing these things wrong and this this is how what God says we should be doing instead of going about it in a restorative loving manner I was going about it with a heavy hand going look this is what the Bible says you know you yeah. heathen um, I think that's ultimately why I had so much trouble in, in school, because that was the beginning of my awakening into the Christian yeah. church. And you just want to say everything yeah. in, a, in a wrongful manner. Yeah, and 
looking back, it was it was painful what, what I was doing, and I was persecuted for it, but it was the bad kind of person, you know, the kind of persecution that wouldn't net me anything, uh, doesn't net anything for the kingdom of God. I, I was yeah. scaring people away from the faith more than I was bringing them in, Yeah, um, which is terrible, and I'm glad I've gotten past that. I hope I've gotten Hey, you never gave it. that vibe to me. Well... You didn't know me during the time it was really exposing, or exploding. Yeah, I guess. It was bad. Um, but. I'm glad that happened, though, ultimately. I, I wish I could have the opportunity to redo it. but It's an experience. It's yeah. a good experience to have. And I think a lot of young Christians, you. as in they've just become a Christian, they, they experience that a little bit, where they, they start seeing, hey, these things are wrong. These people, why, why don't they recognize it? Yeah. Especially when you're talking to fellow Christians. You go, Look, you know, you if you believe that God is all that's good and he's made these commands, why aren't you obeying them? But that's another big fallacy is because the early Christians are, are looking at other people first instead of looking fully yeah. at themselves. Uh, you know, it's a lesson of Christ. Look, uh, or try not, don't try to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye before you've taken the plank yeah. out of your own eye. Yeah. It's that whole idea of work on yourself first. Make sure that that's all in order before yeah. you then start to try and work on other people. Yeah, and I, I've known, like, you know, like, followers of God are Christians, even today, and, like, obviously we'll have, like, different views on any particular subject, and, you know, I'll, we'll, we'll discuss it and be like, oh, why do you think this wrong, or why do you think this is right compared to why do I think this is wrong or whatever, and, you know, we could walk away, obviously not nobody changed each other's mind. Right. And I'll still agree that, hey, I think what they're doing is wrong, but in the end, you know, I, I did, I, I discussed it, but I'm not going to hate them for it. I'm not going to stop talking to them right. or disconnect simply because they don't view it the same way as me. Right. Even if I know for certain that, yeah, that's, that's not correct. But I think that's how it should be approached. So. Right. And there's a, a difference there because restorative love, which is the love that I wasn't using when I browbeat people back in the day is something that's not necessarily always kind which is the other big problem that people have in the Christian church today it's something that Vody Bauckham talks about a lot in his sermons but he says that in the modern church we believe that there's an 11th commandment thou shalt be kind and we don't believe the other 10 and people will lift that up as like the commandment now you, you must follow whereas if you're talking to somebody you, you have to be kind in everything you say and you, you don't want to offend them and you true restorative love can be painful both for the person giving it and for the person receiving especially the person receiving yeah um so it's important to be bold especially if you know what the bible says on this on the topic you don't want to be wishy-washy about it you need to go look the bible says these things the difference is that you're there for them and you want to see them changed rightly. Um, Your end goal yeah, is yeah. positive. It shouldn't be, look, you know, do these things or, or judgment's going to fall on you right now and, and you try and scare them into that. Yeah. The end goal is, look, you could be living a much more fulfilling life and one that is honoring God, which will in turn fulfill you more. I mean, yeah. the, the more you honor God and the more you do for God, the more joy you will have ultimately uh even in the worst possible circumstances you know you could you know lose your family lose your house lose everything you own and still have that 
joy that people Look can't at Job. understand. Man. Yeah. I love Job. Gosh. I love the story of Job. Job is fantastic. So he got everything, like lessons. literally everything, taken away from him, mm-hmm. and he got sick, diseased. Yeah. What, what What do you have? Like leprosy or something? We. Or does it I'm not? I'm sure we don't know. Oh, we don't know. But whatever okay. it was, it caused a bunch of sores to get all over him. That he had to sit there and scrape his sores with a piece of pottery Ugh. just to get the poop yeah. off of him. And he never stopped. Like even his family was taken away from yeah. him. He lost all his house, his farms, mm-hmm. everything. Everything. And he never stopped believing in God. Never mm-hmm. doubted him. So yeah, and that, it, it's true. People have brought up the fact that Job never was told why all that happened yeah. to him, which is fascinating. It, it wasn't. Ultimately, a hey, Job, you're going to face all of this persecution for things you know that you think you didn't do, and then you know, here's this big revelation of oh, this is why this happened, and then you'll have an epiphany, and then your life will go back to normal. His life did go back to normal and better than normal, but he never knew why. God never told him. We we as the readers get the whole backstory of what was going on in heaven and God and and, uh, Satan's interaction throughout that, but that's fascinating to me. Yeah, and you know, ultimately, God came down and talked to him about it and said, "Hey, look, were you there at the beginning of the world? Did, did you know what was going on? Could you order the the world and everything in it and set him straight?" Yeah, but He didn't tell him this was why, uh, which is interesting. That's, we we would want to know why. Yeah, yeah, but it's different being a person in the stories that are being told compared to outside looking in and getting an understanding of before middle after um yeah and i think there's a lot of lessons you can take from job um the one that a lot of people do take from it and i believe it's used by prosperity uh theologians a lot is that like oh look at all the persecution that job went through and then you know he was restored tenfold at the end so it's like if you just face it dutifully all throughout your uh your life all this stuff then it'll you know you'll get all of this stuff you'll get a bunch yeah. of it's like that's not the lesson there um, if anything it's at the very end that's where the you're guaranteed rewards yeah, uh, yeah your ultimate reward is in heaven yeah uh, in the new heaven and the new earth but you're not guaranteed anything right here the lesson was not yeah you get more stuff if you go through persecution and people like to use uh joseph the story of joseph for that too um where he, yeah, he was persecuted by his own brothers and sisters and or his own brothers and then was raised up to be yeah. the king of Pharaoh, or king of Pharaoh, the king. <laughs> second to the Pharaoh of Egypt. Yeah. Um, but that's not it. It's ultimately that God's will will be done, and that persecution can be used for good. Even people that, you know, like okay, we're doing everything correctly, but you know, still there he. So Job was doing everything right, but he was still being persecuted. And his friends were thinking, oh, well, you must be persecuted because you were sinning. That was yeah. the whole mindset back then. Is, you, know, you won't face anything bad unless you sin, which wasn't it at all. It was more of, this is God's will. Yeah. And just buckle up. Hold on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I agree. Um, going back to the Pride Month, mm-hmm. you know, well, you said the the you know it's ironically it's called Pride Month, so right? Not 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 the, <laughs> not best, the best to have a over a, over a incumbent amount of pride, but um you know Pride is whole you know it's about well it's about your sexuality you know loving whoever you love you know and that being being you is who you are, and 
anybody who says otherwise, you immediately send hate to right. when you're trying to spread this parade and this uh, ideology that, you know, you're supposed to be loving everybody, but then anybody who is on the same page as you, you send hate. Right. And that's well, ironic because that's, then you're not loving everybody. Right. It is, it is a double-edged sword that they're using both edges on. Because um, if it was solidly, well, we love everybody and our movement is solely about love, then, yeah, there would be no retaliation. It would be, okay, well, we respect your opinion on it and we, we don't think it's true just because of what we've seen. But, yeah. you know, it, it's a loving respect for that. But it is immediate hate. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting that pride in this connotation is the opposite of shame and it's if you look at it from a far back view it's almost like they're trying to convince themselves that the thing that they should be shameful about is something they should be proud of so they're trying to do that flip-flop where it's like they're trying to make us they're trying to twist their own sin and trying to make it into a non-sinful thing right and say somehow it's okay yeah yeah it's and it's, it's not okay, and for multiple reasons. But ultimately, it's because it causes so many problems. Yeah. I mean, it causes mental anguish. Uh, the suicide rate climbs, and it shoots up when you get into the uh, LGBTQ community. The transgender um, yeah. area. People, like People that have the, had those the, surgeries to change their gender. That, the I suicide mean, rate on that is suic- like oh. high. Incredible. And they don't talk about those statistics because they, they just Because it would be bad. About, yeah, the, the, the you don't want to send the negative stuff to it, mm-hmm. so it also would kind of prove the point of the op- opposition. So you don't want to do that either. Well, all throughout history, up until just the recent modern times, homosexuality has been recognized as a thing, but not as a healthy lifestyle. It's been it's been frowned as upon, a psychiatric right? disease. Yeah, and for the fact that it causes so many mental problems that are all negative it's it's no positive benefits really that it almost always leads to depression or suicide yeah or or some other form of anguish on the part of the the practicer and it was treated as a a psychiatric disease until recently when people said no no it's not it's not that all those problems were caused because people were persecuting that lifestyle and now we bring it into the light and make it normal and all those problems will go away. Well, they haven't. They're still clinging on to that uh, tale of persecution. And I'll agree, there's there's a lot of people out there that push hate towards that. It might have been rightfully conceived, but wrongfully pushed. You know, that they might recognize the problems that this group has, but hating them, especially in an outward way, is not the way to fix that. Yeah. A similar thing that the, the a lot of churches have fallen prey to is loving them so much that they accept the lifestyle which is a big problem Yeah. because if you read the Bible at all you begin to get the idea and it's very starkly laid out it's not just an impression it's black and white on the page that it is a wrong practice um, that is not tolerated by God it's you know Sodom and Gomorrah <laughs> the only two cities that God decided to nuke because of that practice yeah um, it's it's not okay in, in a big way. Um, but churches that say we're open to homosexuality, as in we fully accept it, yeah, you are doing a great disservice to God's kingdom. 
because you are accepting of a lifestyle that God does not accept in. So you're either making God out to be a liar, or well, that's really or what you're, you're doing. Or you're sinning. You have to skip over those parts where it's clearly laid out in the Bible when you're yeah. doing your sermons. and uh, That causes more problems, too, because you're allowing large amounts of sin to be you know, openly practiced in the church, which can only cause more problems. Yeah, and like... It just drags everybody else it, down. It's not bad to be around sinners, obviously. Mm-hmm. It's something you should do, because you're supposed to be an example right. and help. But to be... To be around your congregation, around the people who also worship the same thing as you, around people who are actively against it and speaking out badly against it, it's not – those are two different areas. You can be around people who are obviously against God or you know, saying a lot of things and mm-hmm. trying to talk to them and just and become friends with them and all that. But to be in the same place that you worship him, it, it's definitely a decrease, yeah. and it makes it even more difficult, I think, to like keep your eyes on God or to focus on it. Right. Especially when you have all that going on around you. Because yeah, there's wanton sin going on right here. Yeah. And it, it's true, unrepented sin, it's like a, it's a deep downward spiral, especially for those who are uh, Christians, you know. Yeah. Do I believe that you can have somebody who's gay and a Christian? Only if that sin of homosexuality is being repented of. I, I fully believe that can be your cardinal sin, the one that you struggle with the most. But yeah. the, the, the difference is, you know, they're struggling with it. Somebody who is open about it and, they you know, they have no qualms with their own homosexuality and they're, they're telling everybody else it's okay and God accepts me who, for who I am and I don't have to change. I don't think you're a Christian at that point. Yeah. Because you're not being worked on in your own heart to realize, hey, you know, I feel guilt over this. This is not right. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of people that have gotten to the point where the sin that they do does not elicit guilt in them. Because you can grieve the Holy Spirit to the point where, you know, you don't feel bad about something at all through, you know, practiced sin over yeah. and over and over and over again. That's the danger of habitual sin, is that you do it over and over to the point where you don't feel guilt. And then it's, it's even worse for you because... There's no hard point to get in which you of. naturally get to come back to God. You know, you, you don't feel that mounting. The amount of work it would take to get back is yeah. incredibly harder than normal. I mean, you can be back in in God's kingdom in a second by repenting and and actually laying out your sin before Him and humbling yourself before Him. Um, but the very act of repentance involves one realizing what I'm doing. Is both wrong and it's and it's wrong because it's contrary to God's plan for me, and for all of creation, and it's admitting that to God because it doesn't do you any good if you just go, oh, this is this is kind of wrong, but you have to confess it to God more than anything. You go, look, God, you know what? This stuff is not right. I've been running from you for a long time, trying to find contentment in these things of the world, and they're just not. They're not doing anything for me. I'm trying and trying, and it's just not fulfilling me. Yeah. And through your scripture, I, I understand this is not what I should be doing. And I, I'm sorry. I repent of this. And in that act of repentance, you're not just saying, you know, oh, I'm sorry, God. I, I did an oopsie. You know, it's flip-flopping. 180. You turn in the opposite direction, and you're heading back towards God. You're, you're studying the scripture, and you're trying to see what 
you're supposed to be doing and you do that to the best of your ability yeah. while constantly praying to God for for strength to do it and for wisdom and guidance as you're going along that path back and I mean as soon as you do that you're saved once again yeah in terms mm -hmm. of you know, losing your salvation or whatnot that's a tricky subject but I think if you are truly a Christian you can grievously sin you could turn 180 away from God and start you know digging your pit and jumping in it and going far far down that dark path but at some point in your life if you're really a Christian things will mount up and things will happen in such a way that you're you'll eventually feel guilty for it and you'll turn back to God and start yeah. that path back towards him yeah and like you know everybody do, deals with different um, struggles um, whether it's different types of, of drugs or lust or you know whatever it may be uh, something I found and I know not everybody does this and even I struggle with this but I found if I if I consistently like I've had points where you know I'll be reading I'll read every day you know and I'll I'll study whatever I'm reading and I'll write down notes at least how I write down notes and you know I'm actively seeking to learn from God I found that is in there's a huge difference and it's so noticeable that the the struggles I deal with are so much less significant mm -hmm. when I'm every single day in the word every single day praying and in not just doing it to do it but doing it and looking for more answers looking to, to grow not just reading my bible and uh, not gaining anything but trying to to understand or yeah. trying to find any, anything that it speaks to me and i find you know and i have moments where like i don't read every day right and i find those those struggles usually tend to to seep back in yeah. and eventually if you if you don't get back on on track it takes over you and um i think that's a, a lot of people struggle with that um, Absolutely. But, yeah. No, and you're, you're right on with that because it has to do with where your focus is. If you are trained, your eye is trained on Christ, and you go, okay, he is the goal. Because ultimately, our walk in the world is to grow in likeness to Christ in terms of his selflessness and his ultimate sacrifice. We are called to embark on the path of becoming exactly like Christ. Now, it, our personalities can differ, but our actions will be ultimately the same. Yeah. And so if you set Christ as your goal and you're constantly looking to Him for guidance and for wisdom and strength, then you will, you know, you will start embarking on that path. And it's true. You know, you're reading, you're looking for the word, uh, for, for answers in Scripture, and you're praying, and you're fully focused on Christ as your ultimate goal you will start to transform quicker than you think. Um, you'll get the power and the wisdom to deal with your sin. And that's what you're talking about, how your, your persistent problems, they start to minimize it. They're kind of muted yeah. in what their, their initial sharpness was. And, and, but all it takes is to divert your attention from Christ, even for a second. You know? and, and that's how you get back on that, that dark what, path, uh, and you just go down right. that hill, and then it's you got to climb back up that hill, and it's so much more difficult. Yeah, but, yeah. And, you know, that's not to say if somebody does glance away that they can't you know, immediately you can't go back. Yeah. But you have to look back at Christ and focus on him and start the path again. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily knock you all the way back to square one, but sometimes it can. Sometimes yeah. it can knock you further down the hill than you were when you started. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, the saving grace of God is pursuing him 
And you see that perfectly exemplified in the story of Christ walking on the water in the midst of the storm. And Peter sees him. Yeah. And he goes out to him on the water. But he's looking at him the whole time. And as soon as he looks up and realizes, hey, it's storming, it's lightning, it's scary, he starts to sink. Yeah. It's the same thing that happens to people. Um, but it's important to realize, you know, you're not alone in your struggles, first off, and that Christ is always with you in, in your pursuit of him. He's not distant at all. If his presence on earth and his sacrifice on the cross wasn't enough, I mean, he's, he stated that the spirit that indwells you is always with you. Yeah. And um, if ever you struggle with something more than you think you can handle, all you have to do is to pray to him for that strength and really lean into him for that. Yeah. And uh, that's something I forget all too often. And I'll, I'll remember it a few times, and then something will just come and overshadow that, and I'll forget, and that's when I fall. And it, as soon as I'm, you know, I've sinned, it's like, gosh, darn it, I should have remembered that. Yeah. So praying for a remembrance of that is something you can do. There, there's so many things you can do in seeking God's help in these things that um, I need to be better at, at practicing. Uh, I mean, everybody, everybody has that. So yeah. no, but something. That happened to me not too long ago. You know, I, you know, I was it was some night, and you know, I was relaxing. You know, I was watching some movie or whatever, right? And it was some night, and uh, you know, I started to feel this like loneliness and like the beginning of like depression, mm-hmm. you know, seeping in, you know. Yeah. And like one, of the, you know, I was, I spent a few minutes like just ignore it, just ignore it, you know, keep focused on the movie, and like you know, it was getting a lot more powerful. And dude, I just I went. Because I've been reading James, mm-hmm. I'm like on the last chapter, but I don't know. I I went I went and I opened up my Bible and I went to the the, the chapter, the next chapter I was supposed to read, and I just started reading it and doing my my Bible study. And man, that thing just like it all just vanished. Mm-hmm. It was so nice. But because that passage in Scripture, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Like because it's one of the easiest ways to resist. <laughs> yeah, because like I spent so long, especially me, and I I know a lot of people have done this. Um, you know, trying to think you can fight it on your own. You know what I mean? Right. Thinking, oh, like, you know. You can't. It's, and it's, it sucks. If you believe Scripture, Satan's far more powerful than any one of us. But by the grace of God, we don't have to face him alone. Yeah. And um, it's true. You really can have Christ's strength, the same strength he used to combat temptation for 40 days in the desert or wandering, wandering in the wilderness. I mean, it's that same strength to overcome. Um, all you have to do is ask for it and really lean into it. Yeah. Because most often my problem is either forgetting to lean into Christ or to, to it's almost from a subconscious level, but I, I see it happening, where I, I see a problem coming up on the, the horizon and I don't do enough to prevent it or I do something that would cause me to more easily fall into it okay so sometimes that problem could be you know having even one drink sometimes if i have one alcoholic drink it lowers my inhibitions just enough to where i'll like, hop into this yeah i'll try it once or yeah. i'll do it like one yeah. like the biggest dude the worst thing in the world no matter what you struggle with like the whole one more time or like one last oh my gosh dude that's the worst thing in the world yeah. when that thing, when that sentence pops in your head, head it's like it's all over right it's terrible. And I think those instances are important in every Christian's life because nobody, when the second they're saved, do they become the idyllic. Yeah, and you, and, you won't, and you won't be perfect, anyways. You know, right. no matter what you struggle with, you'll most likely whatever you're struggle with, you'll probably struggle with it 
majority of your life, if not your entire life. Although you, but it can there, you become can almost become perfect in your obedience to God. Yeah, you can but stop it's so sitting. rare that it's like you're you don't often sit like it. like I was reading, like I don't know, I was out I was out dinner I was out at dinner with my family the other day, mm-hmm. and you know no and you know I was sitting in the middle of the table so I wasn't talking to anybody, and you know I was. I've been doing this study, you know, I told you with Noah, but I've been, I've been doing this study with this um, pastor at the church named Noah, and we've been going through Genesis, mm-hmm. and, you know, we read up to, like, the, we're, like, on the fourth chapter or whatever, but, you know, I, so I skipped the fourth chapter since we were going to do it, but then I just started almost, like, speed reading, so I wasn't, I wasn't sitting there taking notes or, like, fully understanding everything, I was yeah, just reading through it like you would read a book, like, here's the next chapter, here's, and I was just, and I read this one part about Enoch, man, mm-hmm. and... He, the last 300 years of Enoch's life, he spent walking with God. It says walking with God, and then he w- God took him up. Like, he was no He didn't even physically die. He just yeah, he was, was, taken up was just life. gone. Yeah. I'm like, and it, and it even mentions that he walked with God. Mm-hmm. And it's like, the only people I could think of that I know physically walked with God would be Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. So, and it's like, like, I'm not saying he physically walked with God, but it's like, to, to mention that he was walking with God meant he was so engulfed in the word right. and so so committed to it. And then he just was taken away. Mm-hmm. Like, that's something you should strive for. Like, that's insane. Absolutely. Yeah. And Christ even says, you know, in, in, follow, in being obedient to these things, the things that God has commanded, you must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. So, like, he said that point blank. So it makes you go... Wait a minute. We we got to be perfect, and you know, elsewhere Christ said that you must be even more righteous than the Pharisees. And at the time, the Pharisees were the righteous people. I mean, they were the most religious, the most exacting when it came to to following the law. I mean, you couldn't deviate even an inch, or else, you know, they kick you out of being a Pharisee. So to be even more righteous than them, you know. It, it threw a lot of people for a loop, and it's thrown lots of people over the ages. Like, how can that be possible? And ultimately, it's because that perfection is not coming from within us. It's coming from within God, and yeah. he is showering us with that. And the transformative work of the Spirit is bringing us closer to that perfection. And ultimately, we'll be into that perfection, whether it's here or you know, in the age to come. But it is a, a process of working towards that that we all are experiencing if we're genuinely trying to be Christians, yeah. Uh, if we accept all of the responsibilities that that holds, because it's it's tough. It really is because you have to start. You have to look at your, the things that you've yeah. loved. Your you have to look at all life. the things you've done that right. end up being not good, like completely against God. And then you have to turn away from it or start that process, right. and that's already a difficult thing to do. Right, so the, the Christian message is not. You know, hate good things, hate all good things, but it's recognizing that your desires have a genuine basis. Something, you know, God didn't invent uh, sexual instinct just so that people would sin using that someday. Yeah. No, it's it started as something good that people perverted throughout history. Yeah, and so the the whole Christian message is not. You know, okay. Well, you can never, you know, you can never have sex because that that gets close to that sinful desire. And you can, you know, never eat or don't eat very much. You only eat like two two spoonfuls or something during yeah. a meal. You know, that that would probably be the chival- chivalrous movement <laughs> back in the 1400s. <laughs> but that's not the message. It's recognizing yes, you have these natural desires that 
can be actually fulfilled in the way they were intended, but it's denying the false fulfillment of those desires, um, yeah, which all of us seek to do because we we like to look for something that will satisfy us. Yeah, and we just all pick the wrong thing. Naturally, everybody picks the wrong thing. Christ even said, you know, nobody is looking for God. <laughs> not no, not one. Was that David? No, wasn't Christ. That was was that Solomon? I don't know. Somebody, You're somebody asking the wrong that. guy. I don't. <laughs> it was in scripture, so you know. Yeah, there you go. Look but it up in the Bible. <laughs> nobody naturally looks for God. It's God looking for us. We get that in the the imagery of Christ as the good shepherd, who, you know, if if one of the sheep wanders away from the flock, he goes looking for the lost sheep. It's not the sheep looking for him. He goes out, finds it, and then takes it back. So all the work is really being done by him. He died for us. He maintains and sustains us. And he brings us into the fold when we're just rebellious to no end. Um, So that's why it's such a glorious process. (laughs) Even though we're fighting him every step of the way, it's he loves us so much that he's willing to be patient (laughs) in our our struggling. Yeah. Ultimately, it's in our best interest, and it's in his best interest. Well, he doesn't need us at all, but he wants us. Yeah, and like, it's obviously difficult to to seek after God after being in sin for so long. But like, I think even you would even notice this difference just by the beginning process. Yeah, like a decrease in your activity in the sin, or less of a drive to go to it, Mm-mm. or less of a addiction to go. Not that there wouldn't be, right. but less. And I think that's that's a lot what people struggle with is admitting that what they're doing is wrong. You know, you want to live in your – you want to hide in the shadows. You don't want to get in the light and have everybody and everything be seen that you're doing wrong. You would rather, rather just stay in the shadows. Darkness hates the light. Yeah. But that's that's the whole reason you have to confess to God. And it helps to confess to other people too. Uh, but first and foremost, you confess to God because it is a true admittance. I mean, your soul is being laid, laid bare before God and going, look, look, you know, you said these things were wrong, and I agree. This is terrible. It's destroying my life. It's destroying everything I know and hold dear. You were right, and we need to fix this, or you need to fix it ultimately. He's going to yeah. do all the work in it. Um, you just have to not resist <laughs> ultimately, but... It starts with repentance. Yeah. And then, shoot, that was, that was Christ's original message. You know, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and have faith, or repent and believe, depending on your translation. Yeah. So that's a two-part. You have to repent of your sins, knowing that they are wrong, and agreeing with God as to why they're wrong, and then allowing him to transform you through a belief in his son. And... That's powerful. When you really get down to the bones of that whole thing, it's very powerful. Um, there's something I was thinking about today. I got home from, from lunch and I had my uh, evening cigar. Yeah. So I, I think a lot when I'm doing that. But I was thinking about that passage in Scripture where uh, it's talking about how God's eye is even on the sparrow and that you shouldn't worry because you know he's watching you too and, and you're worth more than many sparrows. I was thinking that in that statement it is implied that Christ's life is probably worth many people, many men. 
Uh, it's just the natural extension of that statement. And so the fact that he cares enough to send his son, which is ultimately himself, to die, it's a, a very personal interaction with his own creation because he, he loves us so much. That speaks volumes as to his desire for us to be with him. Yeah. Yeah, and there's there's a clear difference. Like even I know this is what we originally, you know, the whole Pride Month is. There's a difference between, you know, I, I want to be proud of myself. I want to love myself compared to willing to love someone else mm-hmm. and actively seek to help them and make them better instead of just focusing on, oh, this is me, me, me. Yeah, and that's true love. Yeah, absolutely. So not not a, like putting yourself last because you don't need to put yourself first. Mm-hmm. No one should. But and. Yeah, therein lies the rub for a lot of other religions is because there is no other religion that is so concerned with being selfless as in we're not self-centered, we're not doing things for ourselves, but we're we're promoting others yeah. all the time. I mean, we're we're giving of ourselves unto poverty and to it, we're exhausting our own supplies for the benefit of others whereas every other religion in some form or fashion, is a selfish religion. I mean, yeah. it's, it's all about what you get. And you look at this one, you, you do a good life, and you get all these virgins in heaven, and you do this other Dude, thing. Dude, look you at get Scientology, man. Yeah. Uh, the more money you put in, the better life you'll have when you're reincarnated in the next. Like, right. It's and, insane. And it, it's almost always at the expense of other people around them because they're, they're funneling the money that could have gone to raising their kids or, or to providing a decent life for their, their fellows into this cultish religion, which is really just a whole bunch of rich people getting richer yeah but providing a false sense of hope for the future but that's that's the crux of the issue it's selfish versus selfless and to my knowledge christianity is the only one that has a viable system that really does supply selfless living yeah um and it's not cultish either it's it's not some oh yeah come come do this ritual dance thing and and take these drugs and then you're going to do good things for the rest of your life it's you know, all of the goodness is supplied by God. If you don't resist, <laughs> yeah, it's easy. It's real easy to resist. Uh, reading a little bit in C.S. Uh, C.S. Lewis's book, The Problem of Pain, and he was talking about or admitting in his own life how often he, you know, is pursuing his own little petty happinesses throughout his life, and they yeah. might have been, you know, genuinely good things, but he's putting the whole weight of his self on these little happinesses. And then something will come along and rip those happinesses away from him or, or completely dash his mood. And then he's forced to look back to Christ and go, yeah, you know what? You're the, the actual center. You're the, the true happiness that I should have been seeking all along. And he'll live in that happiness for a couple of days, that true joy yeah. and happiness, before he inevitably back. sinks back to some other little yeah. something. And it was interesting that he would go ahead and admit that, but I, I think so many people struggle with that very same thing. Yeah. That's what, like, church camp was for me. Yeah. You know, you spend, like, what, a week or whatever in church camp, and you feel really connected yeah, and all that, and then, then you go back, and it just and it's, it's all just fades it. away, and it's just a memory, and it's like, That's it, yeah. We're called to study the Word independently, you know? We, yeah. It's like you were talking about. The more you study it and genuinely look for, you Yeah, know, you okay. have to really want to, yeah. you're, you have to have the intention of actually learning from it, yeah. And that's the difference between reading and study, because there's lots of people that read the Bible. Yeah. Uh, but studying it for actual truth, that makes the difference. Like, 
to recognize there is eternal truth in this document, and I have to figure out what it is. Yeah. And you're praying, God, teach me this truth. Look, show it to me. Yeah, like I said about when I was out eating, I wasn't really studying. I was more or less just, just reading. I was looking for quick bits, yeah, like little tidbits of knowledge that maybe I didn't know or, but not fully. And there's nothing wrong it. with doing that, but as long as you're, it doesn't. Yeah, yeah if it doesn't substitute your actual study. Yeah. yeah. So oh yes, yeah. I, I, I was just bored and I was like, oh, yeah. that's fine. Just scheming. That's bro, dude. Genesis. Oh my gosh, my worst thing in the world. Dude, there's like chapters where like it just talk about the descendants yeah. of Shan, Ham, and Japheth, mm-hmm. and it's just the names. And he had this son. This I was like, oh my gosh, dude, how yeah. am I supposed to follow this? And the then I lineages came up, are important, but not necessarily for. You know what I want to do? Mm-hmm. Oh What's my that? gosh, I want to go back to it, and I want to figure out the timetables. Oh so yeah, I wanna, I wanna, it out. the trees. Mm-hmm. Like who had what kid at what age? They and then it tells you when how old they were when they died. Yeah. It's like, oh my god. And I got on uh, Lamech, Lamech mm-hmm. the man who killed Cain. Oh, yeah. And he got cursed 77 yeah, times. Lamech. And he died at the age of 777. I was like, that's ironic. Like, mm. That's weird. Yeah. But no, it was because he was like, he was like 200 and something years old, I think, when he. I did the math. He was like, whatever. But it's funny because Lamech's son was Noah. And and Lamech, or I can't say his name, Lamech, he died five years before the flood. Mm-hmm. I did the math. I was like, most likely he was assisting in the creation of the ark. Then he could have been. He could. Have. We don't know for certain, but he might have. I mean, if you were living the I mean, seven hundred years old. old. <laughs> but there were there were a lot of people who lived to their, yeah. at least six hundred. Most of the people in that time were living past six hundred. Mm-hmm. So, well, we don't know how old Adam was, do we? When he died, or do we? Yeah, he was. It says in there he, he was it, like eight hundred and fifty years. Oh yeah, it does. It does. Yeah, but easily, easily past six hundred. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like everybody in that time were way past six hundred. They all, they were all pretty much guaranteed mm-hmm. more than six hundred years. And even when the flood came, I was reading. It's like the flood came when Noah was six hundred years old. Yeah. So well, and people people continued to live very long lives after the flood. But it's cool to see, especially and it, it comes from those genealogies. People's lives started petering off. Yeah. And. You know, scientists, Christian scientists, not not like the Christian Science Church, but scientists who are also Christians, have they believe that you know the the water barrier, the firmament that surrounded yeah. the Earth, was probably it sealed in a much denser um, atmosphere that was probably a little bit different than what we have now. Dude, so that man, it, it I was having people's longevity. I was having the most inter- I was having a conversation with my mom yesterday about like the nephilims and all that. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh. It, oh, I would really love to cool get into stuff. that because yeah, because yeah. I know a lot of people think the Nephilims were like fallen angels. I was like, eh, I think it, it were might the children be. of the fallen angels. Yeah, so but it's like the, even then, that's weird. Mm-hmm. But it, no, we were just looking into. it. I was like, that's insane because it doesn't. There's like barely any mention of Nephilims. Right, it's it's all hypothetical at this point because they talk about how the Nephilims were big and mysterious. Right, that's pretty much all you got, and they were the. They were what the. the it said the sons of man and the daughters of God. Yeah. Or so the, was, the sons of God and the daughters of man. It was something like that. I forgot. Mm-hmm. But, but it was it was fallen angels that entered, you know, had, they, they had intercourse with, 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 and I thought that was the most, that's mm-hmm. interesting. I mean, there's there's a good chance that Goliath was. That's what I was saying. I was like, what yeah. if Goliath was a Nephilim? Mm-hmm. He was either a Nephilim or he was a descendant of a Nephilim. He could have been. Because he was, uh, he was only like nine something. 
nine foot yeah, something something big boy he was a big boy mm-hmm. but yeah no it was, i was just getting into that that's we won't go on that because that's dude. a different that's a whole like i could talk about everything i was talking about like oh dude i was reading uh it, this was a while back but i was reading back through david's story yeah um and i i had not actually read it myself up yeah, to that yeah. point so reading it, it was like david's really cool i mean he was cool because you know he, he went and he defeated goliath and he was already a mighty warrior at that point um and then you know he, he gave the the sword and the spear and the the armor to the church and you know he went out and did his thing and when saul started trying to kill him king saul he went and he needed a sword he was on the run and so he went to the church and they said well the only sword we have around here is goliath's sword Hey, buddy. There you go. So he, he was carrying around Goliath's massive sword. Let's see how like how much it weighed or how big it. Anything? It does say in there. Um, that would be I, insane. I, I think I know it says the the head of the spear was like. A, oh yeah, Goliath's spear really, was like what fifteen pounds. Yeah, just the head of the spear you, was fifteen. Yeah, just, yeah, I just okay, yeah. So like his sword was massive. Yeah. But it's like I, I thought about that. That's, that's so cool. He carried out this giant sword everywhere he went. He's got this massive uh, band of these brigands. Uh, and my man was probably men. like bulk you know what oh I mean? yeah he probably big, big he was probably bulk at that point mm-hmm. like one-handed that sword weighed like 300 pounds i don't know but it probably it's pretty dense <laughs> it's insane it's like, that's like, so cool that yeah, is so dude. cool that's something straight out of like a that's why i love looking into like the, the actual theolog theological questions mm-hmm. of it because i'm still going on about the whole like the first three chapters of genesis man yeah oh it's it's like, when you really start digging into it and what it means and what's going on and, and like I know that that there's a lot of stuff in Genesis which is kind of vague and oh yeah yeah it's it's either because it's so condensed or it's not important like the story of Cain and Abel I mean that's yeah, yeah it's, it's just like oh he just he went out to the or went out with he told Cain to come out to the or he told Abel to come with him to the field or whatever and he just killed him I was like with what. Or like hit him with a rock, or like how he kill him? Like nothing, but it's just kind of it's like yeah, that's what happened next. Mm-hmm. So so yeah, it's I'm like these are just it's wham, bam. you're getting directly to the point, which I guess like we said before, I guess it didn't have as much. It's not as much importance. Yeah, the little so, details don't matter because you just know like like even, dude. When I was reading that, I read the story of Cain and Abel the other day, and it clicked in my head. I was like. Dude, Abel was the first kid to die. Mm-hmm. The first human to die. First human, yeah. Ever. I just naturally assumed it was Adam. He's like, nope, no. Adam was still but alive because he, he made yeah, more he was, kids he could, Yeah, because he had more kids. I was but, like, Cain just destroyed Abel. I was like, that's the I mean, first actual death. Like, physical much, death. Cause at all. I'm, we're pretty sure that they understood what they, they must have understood what death was. But you're right. That was the first human death. Yeah. What kind of anguish must Adam and Eve... I've gone through knowing, like, okay, one of the, the only two kids on the planet is now dead. Well, no, I think I think they had more kids than Cain and Abel That's at true. the time. They, they were listed. I'm pretty sure they. The I'm pretty sure they had boys. daughters, but Cain and Abel were the yeah, the one, main one subject. Of their kids was they dead. were the subject of the story, yeah. so that's why they were mentioned. So, so it's that that must have been crazy. There's like there's a lot of those like the first sin in this particular thing. Like that must have been like oh my goodness. Yeah, and Enoch was the first person to ever just finish walk away not even die yeah yeah so it there's a lot of implication theological implications for things found in genesis that people usually gloss over or they don't yeah. recognize in the first place yeah so you know like something else you know i was reading like i assumed so when when eve was talking to the serpent and you know 
took the the fruit, whatever, and ate of it. Adam was there. She didn't go to Adam. Adam was with her. Yeah, yeah. When he, they, he was when, right there. so Adam he was just Adam was literally just sitting there watching Eve and the serpent just communicate. Mm-hmm. He's just on the sidelines. And, there and then he took the and then he took the fruit after her. So. I was like, that, I didn't think about that. I assumed it was just her and, and the right. serpent at the time. And it's no. easy to read it that way and go, oh, yeah, she just ran up to him with this fruit and said, hey, hey, eat this, eat this. Well, he would have known what it looked like to begin with because the two trees were right next to each other in the center of the garden. Yeah, so he, the tree of life and the tree of good and evil. Yeah. yeah, it's like he would have known what it looked like, what the fruit looked like. Um, but, yeah, if you read it, as it says in the Bible, he was standing right there. And that's part and parcel of the first sin. There's a lot he was going supposed to be the that. leader. He was yeah. supposed to. He, supposed he to should have stepped in and said, leader. "Hey, wait a minute! No, we're not supposed." To. No, but I was looking at. That, I was like, at no point is it ever mentioned that the serpent. All the serpent did. So you want to say Satan or whatever, but the serpent. All he did was deceive her. All he did was use his words, and she took the fruit of the tree. Yeah. He, he didn't, didn't take, hand it. To he her. didn't hand it to her. Mm-hmm. He was just kind of chilling there. He's like, take some, and she took it and ate it, and then Adam. I was like, that man was clever as hell. Like, he didn't have to do anything other than speak. Mm-hmm. It's like, dang. Words are a very, very oh. powerful thing. And that was, I mean, our voice was the method by which we were supposed to rule over the world. And, and the Tower of Babel. Very, yeah. Well, <laughs> and the Tower sure, of Babel. That's, that's a perfect example. Yeah. But, like, that, that was kind of the point. You know, God used his voice to bring into being everything that is. And then he gave us the power of the voice, essentially. I mean, he commanded us to name things yeah and that was powerful and you know if if you look at christ's life as what could have been if the perfect you know if, if sin had never entered the world um then his life is an example of what we would have been like in a non-fallen world yeah we would have been in a perfect world the waves and the storms with just just saying something he turned water into wine without even telling it to turn well, into just, wine. He, they just took a scoop of the the, the barrels of water or whatever. Fill up the, the barrels and, it just and then he they turned it and just the yeah, guy drank it and boom, it was rolling wine. So it's like there was immense power that God bequeathed to us, and it was for the the effect that we were supposed to be rulers over the earth and rulers over the animals. Uh, C.S. Lewis kind of puts that into context in the sense that. In a way, we were supposed to be like the Christs to the animal kingdom, just we're, as Christ yeah. is. We were supposed to yeah, be the, the rulers of all, all living creatures. Yeah. That was the in, initial intent. Right. So, so it's like that was our job, and we threw it away, ultimately. Yeah. And uh, in, in throwing it away, the serpent or Satan usurped our place. So we threw yeah. it away, and he picked it up. We switched and, spots. Yeah, so he the has serpent. all the power. The serpent now, was over pretty just much the world. Yeah, the serpent pretty much was the bottom of the food chain, and then we switched with them. Yeah, so which is why it's significant that Christ lived the perfect life in full power of what we should have been, and then ultimately, you know, there was nothing the serpent could do to keep him dead because death is part of the curse. Yeah, we were never intended to die in the first place, so couldn't hold him. Yeah, he conquered it's, it and. It's crazy. Now we can conquer it by believing in him and repenting. Yeah. Well, we need to call it quits. Yeah, I could go all day talking about the theological yeah, questions. Oh, it, man, I got so much more to say, man. Oh, I don't like trying to talk to everybody about it, man. It's crazy. <laughs> no, it's good. It's it, crazy. It's a good thing. I love it. And it helps also um, to talk about it. So if you, if you find out something in 
scripture, it's good to talk to somebody about it because either they might not have heard about it or yeah, in I, general it's so yeah, I even, had, I even had an idea about the serpent, but I, I'll, I'll tell you about that after. Yeah, but, yeah that's fine. So, but yeah, I guess we well, call it quits here. It was good talking to all of y'all. Thank you for those that stuck with us throughout the thing. I know we're not the most eloquent of speakers, but the truth that's in our conversations is real. We speak facts. Yeah, absolutely. It's so you, you can't be shallow about this what is you say. all this is all shots fired to the pride parade. <laughs> but in a loving way. In a loving we way. We disagree with it, but we don't hate you for fold, it. But so Yeah. Any last words for us, a David? Wing, as always. Bewing. As always. So <laughs> We'll yeah. catch you on the next one, guys. Yeah, we'll see you next time. Peace. See you.